All right. Good morning. Let's uh, let's get right to it. Right. Start a little late this morning, so um, John chapter eleven, and let's have one more word of prayer here, just to set my heart in the right place. <clears throat> Father, once again we come to you and we pray because we know where the source of our power and authority is uh, as we turn the corner in this chapter to look at the actual raising of Lazarus from the dead we're mindful of the fact that only you have that power and you can do the impossible um, and you can make a way where there seems to be no way remind us of this lesson again this morning in Jesus name before we move on in chapter 11 I've been impressed all week for some reason. This keeps coming back to my mind again and again, so I need to want to say this. Um, Lord knows why. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's me that needs to hear it. But um, so far in chapter 11, we've seen um, the un, I don't want to say unbelief in the sense of equating the level of faith that the disciples Mary and Martha have with the enemies that we're going to see of Jesus in the, after the resurrection happens, okay? Uh, this chapter 11 doesn't just end with the resurrection of Lazarus. It shows the, the results, particularly in his enemies afterwards, right? So it's kind of like his, his friends and their struggle with faith and belief before the resurrection and then the response of his enemies after the resurrection is latter part of the chapter. Okay. So when I say unbelief, I don't I don't mean to equate the disciples and Mary and Martha at that level. They were disciples of his for sure, right? They they were believers. They believed he was the Messiah, no doubt about it. Remember Martha's confession, you know, I believe you are Christ, the one who's coming from God. Um Nevertheless, as we have seen the uh, last couple of times, both verse 33 and 38 contain exasperation from Jesus, right? Where he sighs with exasperation, you know, just um, indignation, I think, was, was the term that the, the dictionary that I looked up at, to snort with, indig to snort with anger and ind indignation. Okay, so, you know, I got to thinking about that after, after last Sunday, and all week I've just been thinking, that's the same Jesus we come to now. I wonder if his snorts of indignation are limited to just the disciples. <laughs> As I mentioned to you, evidently John knew, because Jesus didn't say anything that verbally expresses that, right? But it's the implication in the Greek and the, and the text and the context and everything seems to indicate a visible ex, you know, expression in his humanity of his exasperation with them, you know, and, and his, his indignation at their unbelief, right? And, and, and again, you know, in verse 38, we forget last time we just looked at this, right? When the Jews say, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind have healed Lazarus and keep him from dying, right? And then he's like, 
body language speaks a lot. Speaks a lot. But I got to thinking about it, and I just want to throw this out there. I'm not accusing anybody or whatever, but it's it's kind of a sobering and maybe a little humbling because I don't know how you picture Jesus's response to you when you come to Him in prayer, or just when you live as you live your life. You know, even when you're not thinking about Him necessarily directly or praying. I wonder if there's any of that exasperation with us. It's an interesting thought because he's still a man, right? He he didn't give up his humanity on the resurrection. He got a new body, and Paul says that we'll get a new body like his, right? And John actually, I guess we're starting First John. John says it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but when we see him, we know we'll be like him, right? And so the Lord, the Lord Jesus will stay a member of the human race forever into the future, okay? And he is now, presently, and which means that he feels those human emotions. And it, it's, just been, it's just been an interesting thought for me, and a little, a little humbling to think that maybe he sports with indignation sometimes at me. And I think, I think you know, we, we look at that and we sort of laugh at, you know, those silly disciples of Mary and Martha, come on, what's wrong with you? But, you know, we have the same, we have the same hearts, right? We have the same struggle with lack of faith. We have the same hard-hearted stubbornness that just doesn't, just doesn't want to trust God. So I just want to throw that out there, okay? Not, not trying to lay, that's, that's a heavy thing to start Sunday school with, I realize, but, uh, um, it's just been on my, my heart, my thoughts. Um, I'm not saying that, you know, what's interesting is despite his emotional and, and, and mental reaction to their unbelief of everybody around him, right? He doesn't say, you know, I've had it with you guys and I'm out of here. He does the sign anyway. In fact, we're going to see in our text now that he thanks the Father you know, that the Father's heard him and basically thanks him that he's in this situation, that, that the Father has set the stage and everything for this to happen so that they may believe, right? And we've already seen his tears in verse 35 for the unbelief of the people. The Jews thought he was crying for Lazarus, but Jesus was actually weeping for them. And so it is a comfort to know you know, even though he he may be and probably is exas exasperated uh, uh, and indignant with how you and I struggle at times with our flesh, with you know how many times do I how many times does he need to keep teaching us the same lesson again and again, right? And we keep going back and, and doubting his hand, doubting his goodness, and so forth. He still accepts us anyway, despite what he feels. So, uh, just a little lesson there. All right, so we are moving forward in the chapter today, believe it or not. Unlike uh, studying philosophy. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, so, I've got new notes here. David gets his own private copy. Oh, yeah, right here. <laughs> yeah, people. Yeah, people lounge over there. Yeah. Corporate box over there.
And we've got, uh, I printed up 10 this time, I'm tired of this, and copies, so uh, 10 seems to be the magic number, maybe. We've got three more there, if anybody comes in. And we got some of these leftover Jesus wet notes, somebody wants it. Okay. We move now, actually, into the hinge of this chapter, right? The actual raising Lazarus. We've, and I got, like we said at the outset, this is, this is one of the longest chapters in this book, right? 57 verses. And uh, there's a, I mean, you guys can probably sense we've been kind of on a long road getting here, right? It's almost, almost feels like the four days and plus that Jesus was taking. You can kind of feel that sort of slow progress. He's not in a hurry, right? He's definitely not in a hurry. Oh, we got to get down there quick, 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 quick. No, none of that. He's, he's in control. He knows that the Father's setting the stage. We've got this large group of Jewish people who, um, and, and by the way, not just any old plain vanilla, but the Jews, right? These are these are the one percenters. These are the top of the, the, the cream of the crop. And that's why one of the indications, again, that lead has led me to conclude that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were wealthy. Okay, in addition to having a house large enough to accommodate Jesus and his disciples on a fairly regular basis, which evidently they did. They hosted him a lot when he was in town. Um, they have a lot of influential people there. And just in the sovereign providence of God, you know, like we said last time, Jesus didn't follow Martha to go get Mary and come and, and make a big announcement. Hey, everybody, you know, we're about to turn this funeral into a party. Come on down here. None of that. Jesus waits, right? And the providence of God, if he had done that, a lot of the Jews seeing Jesus and despising him probably wouldn't have come. Right? But the situation, the circumstances, quote unquote, happened to be that that all the Jews see Mary pop up quickly and run out, and they assume that she's going to the tomb. Okay, and they follow her. And so this whole crowd is there gathered around this tomb to see what we're going to read. Okay. All right, before we do that, let's go through our notes here because there's there's a meaning behind this sign that has stood out to me, and I and I um, and see if you can think of at least at least one other miracle, one other sign that John has <coughs> relayed to us that is kind of a similar illustration. Yeah. So on our notes here. The meaning behind the sign. As we've been saying throughout our study of chapter 11, this miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus is the single most significant public sign that Jesus performed during his ministry. Only his own resurrection surpasses it in terms of significance, but his resurrection was a private sign only for believers. The actions of Jesus and the timing of the Father up to this point have been a mystery for the disciples, Martha, Mary, and the Jews. But for us, with the advantage of hindsight, we see God's fingerprints all over these circumstances. We've looked at the biblical way to deal with our own disappointment with God when we too are baffled by what seems like his ignorance or apathy towards us in painful circumstances. 
we should not mistake his silence for having nothing to say. Indeed, he has said a lot in his word to us in passages like Romans 8, 18 to 39. You know, um, we, how many times have we quoted to ourselves or to other people when they're going through a really tough time? Romans 8, 28, right? Romans 8, 28 has a context. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> right, makes sense. Um, yeah, so I, I was rereading that context, you know, preparing these notes, and I was like, I, I, at first I actually cut and paste that whole section here. It was like, wow, you know, it just it took up so much room. I was like, wow. So I just put some highlights in here, but I, I encourage you to go back and read just on your own. Reread, just read that section. Uh, in fact, um, I think it was uh, Dr. Godfrey said one time I thought it was it stuck with me he said if I had if I was on a deserted island somewhere and I could only have one part of the one portion of the Bible Romans 8 would be it Romans 8 such a powerful powerful section of scripture uh, and, and provides so much comfort right it starts with uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ right and, and, and it ends basically ends with this with this wonderful uh, promise but also just the just an explanation of the, the whole support structure and the acknowledgement now listen the acknowledgement from the throne of heaven from god himself who may seem to be absent in those times when you feel like you need him most and he feels like he's furthest away there's an acknowledgement in this section of scripture that not only are you groaning here and now, but creation is groaning, and the Spirit is groaning too. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are all involved in our pain. They're not absent. They're not apathetic, despite what it may feel like or what it may look like circumstantially. What this passage tells us, and, and, and Romans 8, 28 is part of that, but that the Spirit himself is groaning with us in this present world this god knows this world better than we do is so screwed up right and he knows the pain and he knows the disappointments in our lives uh in a deep and personal way because the spirit is with us through it oh he's right in there right there with you okay so that is a good so let's read some of these highlights okay so verse 18 says for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That's one of the themes that runs through this section of scripture is that while we groan down here and we cry and we and we and we can't even we can't even get the sometimes you can't even pray right <coughs> you don't know what to pray about. I've asked for this so many times and I've been here over and over again and i seem to seem to go nowhere or, or, or emotionally i just can't even get the words out the spirit helps us in that weakness right and, and he prays and we know that behind it all god is fixing the world he has promised salvation is not just for mankind <clears throat> it's not just for you it's for creation too god is the glory of saving the world belongs to him he'll do it in his time and in his way <clears throat> and so we have hope, right? And that's what Paul's saying here. Look, as heavy as the burdens are that you feel now, 
when you compare to the glory that's coming, it'll seem like nothing. Okay? And I have to remind myself of that too, just, just from a practical standpoint. You know, any 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 amount, any finite amount compared to infinity is nothing, right? If you've uh, studied advanced math, you know that if you have an equation that's going, that's approaching infinity, what can you do with any of the constants? No matter how big they are, you just drop them out. They don't matter. A trillion! I got a trillion on this equation. That just cancels out. It doesn't matter because it's going to infinity. It becomes meaningless. Even mathematically, you can show that. It's pretty amazing. Okay, so so our, our little tiny little lifespan here, a little bit. You know, and the little pain you feel now is nothing compared to what's coming. Paul offers that hope right at the top of this section. Skip down to verses 24 through 28. <clears throat> For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes <clears throat> for what he sees? Right? In other words, what he's saying is God's not done yet. You're not home yet. You don't have what God has promised you. Okay? We like that. We like comfort and we like, you know, uh, blessings. We don't like to talk about the pain and the suffering and these kinds of things. But God wants to bring us through that for His purposes to discipline us, right? That's the way He shows His love, too. And it's not always just because you did something wrong, but because you just need to grow. Just like a coach <clears throat> making making his team, you know, he, they win the big game, and the next day in practice, they're out there sprinting again and running, right, and doing suicides and, and all of those exercises. Why? Punishment? No. <coughs> Discipline. He needs some work. Um, uh, so if, so let's read verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for what? This one hit me. Patience. Yeah. <laughs> I was say, it's not always patience. Not always patience. Um, that, that kind of struck me. I was like, how many times have I been in patience? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's that snorting from Jesus again, yeah. right? Yeah. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit knows. When, one of the interesting things we're, we're going to see a little bit later in John, when we get to the upper room discourse, is Jesus is going to actually say to them, "You know, you guys want me to stick around, but it's actually to your advantage that I go away. Because if I don't go away, then the Spirit won't won't come. I won't. I'm going to, I'm going to ask the Father to send Him, and He's going to send the Holy Spirit, and it's actually to your advantage. Wow. Yeah. Yeah." I'm not going to leave you alone, right? The Spirit is here. He helps us in our weakness. Paul is helping us understand what Jesus means there. Likewise, he helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Those times when you can't even get it out through the tears, the Spirit helps. I can't, I can't even make a profound sentence right now or you know that's worthy of your ears the spirit helps you hear the resources that god has marshaled for us 
Okay. He intercedes with verse 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit. I like it, the way the ESV has phrased that. He searches hearts. He searches all hearts. He knows what's in your heart, even if you can't verbalize it. And the spirit is also making that known and is packaging that thing up and cleaning it up and bringing it before the Lord, your, your needs and your, you know, like, like we said, you know, we don't even know how to pray sometimes, many times. And then and, and look at that last part of verse 27 that I've underlined that because the spirit, what? Intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We can read this every so often, just remind ourselves, wow, that's good. We're going to see when we get into uh, chapter 17, is that that's a preview of coming attractions in terms of Jesus' intercessory ministry for us. Here it says the Spirit also intercedes. That's good. And then verse 28, I bet you quote that. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Okay? The Father is working all those things together. The Spirit is interceding. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding. They're all rooting for you in the circumstance. Don't let your feelings and the, situ and the circumstances which seem to say otherwise deceive you. All right, then let's look at the last little section there, 31 and 32. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let that encourage you. With all that being said, after I notice that. With all that being said, the actual doing of the miracle itself was remarkable, remarkably plain. There is no long, drawn-out ceremony where Jesus performs some elaborate ritual. Even in his prayer, he never asked the Father to provide the power to do the miracle, nor to participate in any way. Well, if you thought about that, Let's go back and reread. We'll look at it. We'll see that. In fact, he doesn't even mention it. Instead, his prayer is one of gratitude that the Father always hears him, and his ask, if it could be called an ask, is that those who are standing there would believe that he is from the Father. This brings us to the meaning behind the sign. Not only does it inspire belief in Jesus as God's Messiah, but it, picked, it serves to picture the spiritual deadness of all people who are born first into the state of rebellion against God. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, right? We who were dead and trespassed in sin, God made alive. <clears throat> like Lazarus, we too need to be resurrected. Like Lazarus, we have no ability to raise ourselves. Like Lazarus, none of the people around us. With all their love, good intentions, money, and connections can do anything to stop the consequences of sin in us. Like the proverbial Humpty Dumpty, all the resources of the king and his men cannot undo the dreadful destruction of sin. 
Faced with these impossible odds, Jesus calmly walks to the tomb and without fanfare speaks to the dead, dead man and expects him to respond. Only Jesus stands there with the power and the authority to do the impossible. The same is true today when it comes to the hearts of all sinners. He alone has the power to raise the dead. Can you think of any other signs that we've seen in John which serve as a similar illustration? Exactly. In fact, I almost put some references in there to it in those notes, and I decided no, because of room and whatever. But um, yeah, chapter 9, right? Remember the man born blind? Another illustration of all of us. All of us are born blind, right? We're all born dead, right? Uh, way back in chapter 3, the conversation about you need to be born again. You need to start all over again, right? All of these serve as illustrations of the same truth that only God the Father through the Son with the power of the Holy Spirit can regenerate a person, can bring us to a place where, you know, and we'll, we'll break that down, but, but Lazarus, even if, first of all, a dead person doesn't even have the ability to hear, right? But even if, if you could do that much and give them the ability, you've got to reverse four days of, of decay and, 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 and muscles that have atrophied and, 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 and all what? All of that and this nervous system has got to come back online again, the brain has got to wake up it's, you know, and the muscles have got to respond and the sense of balance and, 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 and all of that right? It's got to come back online in order to respond enough and he had enough strength to not only sit up but to walk to the entrance of the tomb with all of that wrapping and so forth. That's power. <laughs> That's power to not only speak to a dead man, and even worse than that, physically speaking, uh, in terms of impossible odds, but to reach into the spiritual realm and to reunite his soul with his body and pull it out of there and put it back in his life just by speaking just by speaking and not and not some kind of great elaborate you know you know half a day ritual while everybody's sitting around fanning themselves and drinking and looking at clocks and you know even this prayer you know i would i for me i'd be like father please we pray in jesus name that you would none of this right he's just he just walks up thank you father that you've heard me i say this for benefit of all those that may believe it Sent me. Says it. It's almost like he's half turning around and you know sees you know sees him coming out. We'll, we'll get there. <laughs> it's just an amazing, amazing thing. But it's such a the meaning behind it is not. Yes, it's definitely a witness to the nation and the Jews who are there. Right? That, that that cream cream of the crop crowd that's gathered there. Right. Those. Movers and shakers in the nation that are there to see it, you know, and that and John clearly ties this in chapter 12 to the excitement that they express when he comes into Jerusalem on the donkey. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and all that, right? And, and, and John clearly explains that, that excitement. 
with them and they believe in him. And so, yes, it is a sign to the nation that here is the Messiah. Because nobody can raise the dead except God. Nobody has that kind of power authority except God. Okay? But more than that, too, is the illustration of the deadness of each and every person and the hope that we have only in Jesus to be able to raise them. To open the dead, <clears throat> the deaf ears, and the blind eyes, and take out the heart of stone and stop beating, put in the heart of flesh that's living, after to respond to it. Okay? All right. Um, let's, uh, let's read our text. I've been doing a lot of talking. Let's have somebody read that. That's uh, 11. You can uh, you can start with, with the first part of verse 38. We'll just read verse 38, even though we're focusing on the second half, which is B. You can just read verse 38 and 44. Somebody read that for us, please. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will be see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands, feet wrapped with straps of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Okay, um, let's go back to verse 38. B, right? That's kind of where we are. That's kind of half. Remember, our notes left off last time with the emotion that Jesus expresses here. And that's uh, it. This translation, like yours, says, deeply moved again. It, that's so innocuous in English. It means he was indignant. He's sporting with indignant. Why? Because the verse right before the Jews are saying, you know, well, if you don't have been here, we wouldn't be having this funeral right now, effectively. Um, so we've already looked at that. So let's look at this latter part of verse 38. It was a cave, a stone lay against it. Now, if you're like me, I picture a cave in, in a hillside somewhere, right? With a stone, sort of basically a vertical entrance. Okay? Uh, in doing a little research about this, they have, they have uncovered uh, tombs in that general area. And it's, John is not interested in giving a little detail, but what I found interesting was that many of the tombs and were actually entrances into the ground going down. So you have steps that would go down possibly carved out. And so it, it may not be perfectly flat, but it, it would be maybe closer to flat than vertical. Okay. Uh, so our, our Bibles uh, just say that stone lay against it. It's, you know, and, and of course a cave doesn't have to be in the hillside. You could, you could go down into a cave, right? That's, that's fine. It doesn't really matter, but it's interesting to me 
as they come up, I'm just just change the visual that I have in my head as I as I see this unfold. You know that there's a stone maybe laying on the ground. It may be on the hillside. It could be. Doesn't matter. The point is that it was in the cave, and the dead man was still dead, right? He's, his body's still there. He's not, he's not moved. He's not, you know, hey, let me go. And he's been, okay? He's not, he's not been resurrected, uh, or, or I should say revived from some kind of coma or unconscious, whatever. All right? And then verse 39, Jesus just calmly says, take away the stuff. Now, I mentioned this before, but and you guys are smart enough to know. But I just have to say this, okay? The stone then removed the stone so Lazarus could hear. Or that Lazarus would be able to come out. There's one reason for removing the stone. And it's seen in Martha's reply. Why remove the stone? So they can smell the dead So they can smell So that there's no question by anyone who happens to come there and still strongly resistant to Jesus being the Messiah. There's no question at all because out from the tomb, the Martha says, you know, I like the way you're saying, what in the Lord? It's going to stink. Yeah, that's the point. That's exactly the point. Thank you for observing that to the point that he's dead. Exactly. There's no mistaking the odor of death. And there's no faking it either, right? This way. There's no, this isn't a fake miracle. There's no faking. It's not that any of them, I think, you know, they wouldn't have made the little, it's not a long journey, but they wouldn't have come to console Mary Martha if they thought that, you know, Lazarus is really not there, right? I think they, they all knew that. But this is to, again, to prove that he is dead. And 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 very uh, let me just say this too in connection with his own resurrection. The point of the angels removing the stone was a similar way. It was not to let Jesus out. Right? If death can't hold him, what's a stone left in there? Right? It's to let the world in so that they may believe. Right? So that they may believe. So some interesting parallels there. Okay. So he simply says. Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, says, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Right? Good morning. 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 Interesting that Martha is the one who says this, right? Martha, you get a sense of her personality again, right? She's she's always the one who's right in the center of the activity, keeping everything going, you know, kind of like Debbie. Uh, was it you said the other day, Lord had to slow you down with your eye because you're always running ahead even of yourself, right? And you're getting ahead of yourself, let alone the Lord. Lord's like back here somewhere. <laughs> Martha's like that. Busy, 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 right? And she's and she's concerned about the odor for her guests, right? All of these people, all the friends that have come, and she's hosted them for all these days, and, and you know, but uh, I like that. But Lord, it's gonna stink. You know, it's a power. You have to smell the dead bodies, disgusting, right? 
I remember um, but me and my roommate years ago, one of my roommates years ago, <clears throat> we were we had this little apartment and there was a little deck out the back. It was, just, it was ground level. The deck was you know maybe about that high up there, and um, we started smelling this odor. Is looked around, looked around, didn't see anything, and we went outside, looked around. Finally, he looked underneath there, and there there was a possum apparently that had gone under there and died. And and so one Saturday he he wrapped his several handkerchiefs around, and he he told me later he said I, I finally got under there with a shovel and I moved it out. And he said the smell even with even with the cloths and everything was so powerful. He said I almost threw up several times just you know. Just an odor, right? It's terrible. There's no mistaking the odor of Martha. It's, 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 and Martha's worried about that. She's like, oh, you know, that's why we put a stone over it so we don't have to smell What is Jesus' response to her? Well, I like what she says too. <laughs> Latter part of that, you know, not only the odor, but, you know, you're going to tell the Lord of glory. What he doesn't know, uh, just in case you forgot, he's been dead for four days. Now, Martha, didn't she? Didn't she the same one who, just what, maybe an hour, not even probably an hour earlier, said, "Lord, if only you've been here. Yet I know that whatever you ask for will, will give to you. I know you're the Christ." But, but we're kind of back to the old Martha here again, right? You can feel her sort of shifting between doubt and faith. And here she's kind of on the doubt foot. You know, she's, she's Lord, it stinks. And, and, Martha, don't you understand what's about to happen? But don't we do that? Yes, yes we, do. we do. We do that. I'm we sure we do. We, we pray for something. And that's wrong. Yes, we do. We get back. That's right. You know, we do that all the time. I know you're God. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I know you're God, but yeah. But yeah. And, and and it's this response right here, which leads me to think that it was the furthest thing from anybody's mind. And Martha just happens to be the one who's speaking that like Peter is usually the one expressing what everybody else is too timid to say, okay? But the disciples, Mary, Martha, the Jews, nobody. Is expecting him to raise Lazarus. They're not ready for that. Martha's, Martha's response clearly shows that. She says, I'm not playing because he had all these people here. Yeah, I, you know, we, we've been reading about that. It's, it's just somebody's in the way of this unfolds. And his, I wouldn't say lack, lack this too strong, more relaxed, but he was because they did the things that they say to show you you think about it. So that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. And that's point A right there. That's the objection of Jesus orders the stone to be removed over the objection of Martha. Okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, actually, no, we're not. Okay. But look, look how he responds to her in verse 40. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see? No, what's interesting to me is he still hasn't 
revealed to her or her sister, at least not in the text, uh, what he's about to do. He has told his disciples, but that was several days when they were still back wherever he was, wherever it was that John was Baptist started his ministry. We don't know exactly, but you know what I'm saying? He'd already, he told them, you know, we're, he's, he's sleeping and we're going to go wake him up. And remember the disciples thought he was talking about getting rest. He said, no, no, he's dead. <laughs> disciples should have known, but I, I guess evidently they slipped their mind or they just didn't bother telling Mary and Martha. But the Lord, in his response, doesn't turn to her and say, Martha, I'm about to raise him. He doesn't do that. He just simply reminds her what he had said earlier, that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. What's interesting is, is that the raising of Lazarus, as amazing as that is, as wonderful as, a, as it's extremely, like we just said a minute ago, all the things that have to happen in order to raise a person like that, uh, as amazing as all that is, his concern is not with the thing itself, but with the glory of God to be seen. And what's interesting is, is the connection here, because remember, the whole theme of this chapter is belief and unbelief, right? The contrast of belief and unbelief. And, and, and what's interesting to me is that seeing the glory of God enhances belief for those who are already believing. But for those who don't believe, we're going to see that that's the latter half of this chapter, his enemies respond to it. The glory of God is on clear display. And The religious and God, what do they do? They're worried about themselves and their reputation. The whole world is going to chase after this man, and if we don't do something about it, we're going to lose our place. Wow. How do you respond when God is glorified? What if what if God is glorified through the ministry of somebody else who you don't really like? Or oh, I'm glad the Lord's working in your church. How do we respond when God is glorified in circumstances? Uh, it says a lot about where our belief is, right? Where our heart is. Any thoughts? We'll finish this next time. It's really, I mean, this really, this isn't complicated. <laughs> you know, it's a very simple, accessible, easy story, and yet the truths are, are so profound. And I just love how calm Jesus is. He's just so chill through this whole thing. That's the prayer that Jesus made in there is a clear indication that he knew that the Father would confirm through these signs and wonders who he was. That, that was that was a very big part of the Lord of the Lord God for the That's right. And there's no doubt in the prayer at all. In fact, he doesn't even reference it. He doesn't even say, please raise Lazarus. No, he doesn't. Thank you for giving me the prompt. Yeah, he just turns to Lazarus and yells at him. The voice of creation. Lazarus come forth. So chill, so direct. As a matter of fact, like, oh yeah, just another day to raise the dead. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Almost like he's he's half turning as he watched Lazarus come out. And just turns and says to the crowd as he's walking away from it, you know, 
lose him. And it's like Jesus kind of almost looking the other way. Well, I, 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 you know what I'm saying? He's just so. He's just. Uh, it's just. A, all right. He's different from us. He's so different from us. So so unexpected. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you. We serve the same God now as then. You are still raising the dead spiritually. We've been looking at that. That's really the point of this physical <clears throat> sign, just like the, the sign in John 9 of the man who was born blind was a physical illustration of how you open the eyes of the spiritually blind. So also in this chapter, this is an illustration of how you raise the spiritually dead. We're still doing that. We thank you for that power. We are ourselves testimonies of that. And we know that that uh, just like Mary and Martha and uh, the disciples and all of their wealthy friends could not have kept Lazarus from dying or had no no amount of money would raise him from the dead or power or authority or, or intimidation or anything. Uh, so also we have no power to impart eternal life to the people around us. We can't even save ourselves, let alone anybody else. But you do. That's why we pray. Really not just because it's commanded, but because we have nothing else to do. We have no abilities. We have no resources in ourselves to impart life to dead hearts. Only you can do that. So we pray that you would do that, that you would do that through us at this church, that you would do that through your word uh, and, and through believers around our area and around the world, even today. Many believers have met already, some meeting now, others will be meeting. Uh, open your word around the world. Move in hearts, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, as only you can. Bring understanding where there is darkness, Lord. Bring life where there is death. Pray that you would take the word that was given out this past week to all these children and the parents who came. That you would do the same thing there as well. Bring fruit for yourself. And, and our concern is not a big church, uh, not a big flashy ministry, uh, not that people would come and pat us on the back, but it's your glory. want to see you glorified because that's what really matters. Amen. And that's what's transforming. We see your glory like this. It, it does something to us. It changes us. <clears throat> so we pray that you will be glorified even today. In Jesus' name.